Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hi, everyone. Just a quick content warning. Uh, this week, due to the choice of book, we do discuss the topics of sexual assault and pedophilia. So I just want to put a quick warning here at the top. Now on to the show. Sandspants Radio, Australia's most procedurally generated podcast network. Hey everyone, welcome to Bookish. I'm George Demarellis. This is a show we ask you, what's your story and what does it say about you? Today on the show, I have celebrant, ex-radio personality and really good-looking guy, Josh Withers. How you doing, Josh? Good, thank you, George. I, I appreciate you uh, commenting without any prompting on my looks. That's really generous of you. That's just the kind of guy I am. Although now I do have the pressure to have to say that. Now I have to comment on everyone's looks going forward <laughs> who comes on the show. And you've got to be honest. Like, if there's... This really ugly person. You gotta, I'm sorry. I've just, I've just got to say this. It's part of the contract. Blame Josh Withers. Okay, <laughs> he started this trend, and I've had to keep going since. It's brutal. Yeah, good to have you on the show, Josh. <laughs> Thank you, man. I, I never knew that a, that a podcast about books would be would become my undoing. This would be what we're in, ends me up in the Daily Mail. I, well, that's a, that's a scoop, kind of scoop I'm hoping for, and we'll get there. No, I'll, <laughs> it's usually about <laughs> minute forty. That's when uh, I will have you broken down. I guess uh, before we get into the book and stuff, let's get hear a little bit about you. Because because uh, you got a pretty interesting backstory. I mean, you you started off in radio, but now you're a celebrant up at the Gold Coast with a kid and a wife and all that stuff. What was that journey like, I guess, just to give people a quick summary before we go into everything else? Yeah, so uh, look, late December 1981, I was born. And um, since then, I've been trying to figure out how to just exist on the planet, which is, uh, I don't know if you've tried it, but it's, it's a complex bargain because... There's um, there's external factors and there's and there's your own kind of demons you're trying to battle and just trying to find that peaceful place, and uh, that took me through um, uh, you know a, a, a crazy youth uh, and to which point I just really liked computery, techy, nerdy things, things with the buttons and things that had smoke inside, and if the smoke escaped, it was a bad thing, um, and that okay. led me into radio because radio has lots of boxes with smoke that can escape if things go bad. If the smoke escapes, that's a it's an instant sign that things aren't good. Okay. I thought you were like subtly hinting at bongs, but I'm like, no, nah, you want the smoke to escape there. <laughs> That's yeah, yeah. It's, it's it's a measured escape of the bong. Yeah. Um. Uh, so in in radio, I uh, because there wasn't many people like me. I just kind of escalated up the ranks of nerds, and uh, and as much that was really as a, that was really good. And I was I was uh, in the the executive team of a national radio network as as a nerd. I I loved the nerdy stuff, but I didn't actually want to be like ah. Uh, Nerd identity is a crazy thing, isn't it? As, as we try to figure out our, our identity and how we kind of run. And I, as much as I was, as I was a nerd, I didn't want to be identified kind of on the payroll as a nerd. <laughs> uh, but I did want to be a part of the community, and I wanted to be a part of the community like every day on that action of what's happening in the community and you know, isn't Jen a bitch and what about this person that fell in love and just the, the kind of that really granular, some would call it boring, but just the really normal life going on around, around our community. Mm-hmm. And because I already worked for a radio network, that led me down the breakfast radio announcer route. And I was on breakfast radio through my 20s. And uh, as I was about to turn 30, I realised that breakfast radio was a young man's game and it wasn't that great for being in a long-term relationship. So... 
I left Breakfast Radio. I told the girl that I'm now married to that I love her. A few years earlier, I'd become a marriage celebrant because I saw a really terrible wedding and I thought I could do a much better job. Mm -hmm. And that leads me to now I'm 38 and I'm a full-time marriage celebrant. I continue to be married to that beautiful woman. We have a daughter named Luna who is about to turn two in a few seconds. And we have a uh, second bub on the way. She's uh, currently baking, and um, she's due in February. I just compressed 38 years. And now, we're up now, and now it's today. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just a couple of quick ones I just was wondering. One of the things you said, uh, you went up the ranks quickly because uh, there weren't many people like you. Uh, what do you mean by that? I, I love problem solving, and I, and I just really understand just techie things. I always thought it was normal. I always find it weird when I meet people who don't understand problem solving and techie things. And like, like, you know, the person who's like, oh, my iPhone's broken. I, I could cool. Let's take a breath and let's figure it out. And that whole process of just troubleshooting techie things or just even troubleshooting things is just really natural to me. It's in my blood. And in the radio network, there's lots of things that can break and there's always things that are going wrong. And so I was just, I was just a natural fit. Every week I was getting flown around the country at about 50, 60 radio stations around the country. And uh, I was just always, I was the guy that could fix things. Not necessarily because I was really smart, but because I knew how to problem solve. Yeah. I knew how to find the problem and find the solution. Was there Google at the start? <laughs> there, was, there was drops of Google, but uh, look, I, I, I don't want to break it to any kids listening. As much as Google might not be great today, back in the early 2000s, it was, it was a growing thing. It was, it was young and it wasn't, it wasn't the end-all, be-all that it was today. Yeah. So, you know, it's just a matter of like knowing where to look for information. Um, so you have to go to like the manuals. Yeah, there was like collections of paper yeah. and you'd bind it together and you'd have collections of information they'd put a title on the front which would kind of give some hint to what information could be inside and that's crazy though like i can't even matter because now problem solving now is especially where it's like really you got no excuse in a way because whatever issue you got there is a youtube video of a person doing it so you can follow it point by point because back in the day you would have had manuals but the manuals would have sucked i'm guessing sometimes they would have been wrong and they would have been like misleading or vague and or just old they were just it's it is a bit more of a skill back then i gotta say yeah so uh, so that's me. I've just always been... I've never been the smartest guy in the room, never been the richest guy in the room, I've never been the best-looking guy in the room as much as you really wanted to point that out earlier. I um, I'm, yeah, I just no. know how to solve problems. In that room you're in now, you are. <laughs> All by myself. <laughs> that's us. I'm full of compliments. <laughs> <laughs> so with that, I guess one thing I want to ask about that is so in your teens and stuff, you're always just like the computer geeky kind of guy? Because even there, you're like, oh, I was crazy in my youth. But it's like when I hear crazy in my youth, a lot of the time I may immediately think some full like drug-addled mess drinking at 12 and stuff like that. But uh, in your terms of crazy, you meant more like just hyper-focused on this topic. Is that what you meant by that? Oh, no, no, no. Like, so there was the, the just the crazy youth of the 90s, you know. Like, I was actually kicked out of home when I was 15. So I was, there was, I was homeless for, for you know, five, six years there. And oh, wow. There was the sort of mixing of, of what you're talking about. But also, before that time, my family, like, we had a we had a 486SX25-33 computer. It was a Packard Bell. I just, I feel like the 25 slash 33 is worth explaining because uh, someone might have heard that and thought, what does that mean? I, I, that's me too. <laughs> that was the speed of the CPU. It could be 25 megahertz or if you press the turbo button, you could up it to 33 megahertz. But you didn't want to do that when you were growing up in North Queensland because it was too hot and humid. So you couldn't run it at 33 megahertz too long because it would overheat. And so you'd go into turbo mode for, uh, you know, for if you were running a game and you're, like, playing Doom or Quake and you wanted to really kind of get a few more frames on the screen. Okay, yeah, you've lost so many people there. I mean, like, how many megahertz <laughs> is, like... I just love that. It's like, how many megahertz is, like, a toaster? <laughs> like, that's... Well, yeah, you know, I've, I've got a toaster that probably has... It's probably got a CPU. Like, it's not the fanciest toaster around, but it's got settings. I reckon there's probably a CPU in there. Yeah. Uh, but, like, the MacBook I'm talking to you on, it's an 8-core CPU, and I think each one of them is, like, 2.8... Megahertz, so twenty eight hundred megahertz. So it's 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 got eight twenty eight hundred megahertz, as well as my one computer back then had twenty five or thirty three. If you were willing to press the turbo button, yeah. So I was equal crazy nerd plus equal crazy Aussie youth. Okay, right. Oh no, that's that's interesting. So then you went into the radio stuff and went up there, and then you had a, you have had a journey because yeah, you've had that for a few years, and even the fame that attached to that as being a breakfast radio person was that in uh, the Gold Coast. As well, Brisbane. Uh, no, so I, I worked for a regional regional radio network, which the, I started on the Gold. Actually, I started in Mackay for two months, and then they moved me to the Gold Coast. Uh, but my breakfast radio time was um, around the country with that network. So I was in Western Australia at a few different stations. I was in New South Wales at a few different stations. I was um, in far north Queensland, and uh, I did a little bit of time in Sydney and in Brisbane, and, and the Gold Coast. I think I mentioned, and um, I've probably missed somewhere there. 
But yeah, so I, I kind of I did the tour. Look, I, I don't want to boast about how famous I was, but uh, but one time I was in a local tavern and a girl came and made out with me because she wanted to say that she made out with Josh from the radio. You made it. <laughs> you did it. Yeah. Does it happen to you? Uh, <laughs> no. You know, you got to be honest. Not really. <laughs> no, I was misled getting into this game. Although to be fair, I'm not exactly Josh on the radio. So. <laughs> <laughs> I'm George on the podcast. It's all of, <laughs> so, I feel like it has less of the glamour <laughs> attached to it. Okay, as as a nerdy kind of just uh, ugly boy on the radio, it was it was a real mind screw to have some hot girl come and make out with you. She had no entire no no desire to to continue on past the make out, which was a bit heartbreaking for Josh from the radio. <laughs> Fame's weird. You got a little taste of that, and then you're like, you know what? I'm good. <laughs> this is because even it's funny you say it's a it's a young man's game. I mean, there's, there's plenty of not young men on there. I would say, <laughs> the radio as well. But did you mean more because of the moving around and stuff? Yeah, there's the moving around. It's the, the st- stupid hours, you know. You're up, like I was usually up at 3 a.m. Uh, to be on air from, depending on the station, 5 a.m. or 6 a.m. But even just the money, I, I don't live an extra, extravagant lifestyle. I, I drive a Mazda. To, to Just to make a fine wage out of radio was really hard. Like you'll find most people on regional radio that they've got two or three other things going on. Just because they've got to, because there's none of them, like particularly today in 2020, there's not not a lot of money in it. No, it's an insight I didn't, I guess, appreciate that it's like there's not enough to even get by on. Ah, bad. The 90s, eh? Back when everyone was getting money for everything. I was really upset. I came just in on the back end of the cocaine era in radio, Uh, cocaine and big money, and I got none of that. None of the money, none of the the cocaine, none of the. None of the, the apparently, the, what they said was the fun stuff. Yeah, yeah. I remember when I, maybe not exactly the same thing, but like, uh, or at least I can't go into that. But it definitely when I started, I was used to work in a bank when I first got there. They're like, mate, you should have seen this place in the 90s. <laughs> it's like, this is, this sucks now. We were charging 20% interest. <laughs> no, it is an interesting journey because like, you, it just sounds like you were kind of crazy for a while, then you eventually settled down. Now, you, now you're feeling pretty comfy and you've got a, a setup that you like and you're a celebrant. You're dealing with marriages. Is marriages mainly like that's, your, that's the deal? You MC other stuff as well, boom. Yeah, celebrants do other things. I, I don't really do other things. I just I like I like weddings. I I think it's like there's obviously in kind of entertaining kind of MCE kind of role as a celebrant, which which I'm obviously capable of, and I can I've, I'm not scared of public speaking. Like the thing that 99.9 percent of the world would rather die than do, I'm really comfortable with. So I, I like public speaking. But just also the fact that two people have just figured out how not to hate each other. That they've looked at someone and said, "You, out of all the other people on the planet, I hate you the least." Uh, I think that's kind of magical. That's kind of cool. Oh, you're a bit of a romantic. Yeah, is that romantic or is it just kind of... I guess it's kind of like modern romantic. Yeah, no, it is kind of romantic, the fact that you're feeling that connection to that moment. Oh, the little Josh found love, loves love. You just love love. <laughs> okay, this might be personal. Just just to jump back to that for a second, to go back to your youth, as you said, you got kicked out at 15. So I guess did you have a tumultuous relationship with your parents? Is that what that was? It's funny. Like, when people say that, like, did anyone? Like, has anyone kind of got to 16 and, like, you know, I'm going to take my two best friends to the theme park. It's mum and dad. Like, maybe there's one person. Yeah. <laughs> it, it wasn't me. Like, to give a really quick outlay of, of a, you know, solid 15, 16 years, my my mum left. Uh, she walked out when I was about five. And dad loved being married. And so he kind of moved on to, to a, a second um, wife. And uh, we, we never really gelled, like, in him trying to figure out how to gel, figured that I couldn't be there. Yeah, I was I was kicked out, and he's gone on to a third marriage now, and and they're they're giving it a good shot. So wow, yeah, yeah, like, like so, so not a good great relationship. No, it would be the uh, simple way of describing. it. I guess he loves love too, but just in a different way. <laughs> yeah, just, it's just the priorities are slightly yeah. out of whack with mine. <laughs> He, no, it turns out he loves weddings too. I've literally joked about the joke about that for 20 years. Yeah. And he just, just loves wedding cake. Just really like marzipan. He's like, I just eat more. And it's weird when you buy it without a wedding. Like the- That's why you've cracked the code. You're getting all of that without having to do the remarrying. <laughs> <laughs> Can I have two, two wedding cakes? No, when's your wedding? Oh, there's, there's not a wedding. I just, I just, I just want the cake. I'm a, I'm a celebrant, I swear. I'm a celebrant. Look, I've got the license. <laughs> Kind of showing your badge like the FBI. Josh Withers, wedding celebrant here. I'll have two cakes, please. Yeah. <laughs> Don't ask any questions. <laughs> I do, like, does this mean that you are hooked up with, like, all wedding people everywhere? So if anyone's getting married, they should just talk to you basically about how to get 
the hookups on the... Yeah, literally. If you are, if you've just got engaged, if you're getting married, um, don't Google things, don't Pinterest, don't talk to other people, just call me directly and I'll, um, I'll, I've got invoices uh, that I can send to you and I, I know people and I, I would... Uh, I'm, I'm Josh from The Weddings and I'm here to help. It's turned into a pitch very early on. Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> let's, I, think we've got, I think we've got a very good basis on everything now. But, so let's go into this... Uh, <laughs> This book choice, which uh, I feel like we're, we started off risque, we're about to go a lot more. So uh, what, your book of choice for today, what is it? Malcolm Gladwell's, uh, I think it's his latest, yeah, um, uh, Talking to Strangers with the uh, subtext or subtitle, What We Should Know About the People We Don't Know. Basically, the book roughly is about him using the incident of one of these cases of police brutality in America. Sandra Bland, yeah. Yeah, Sandra Bland in terms of the race thing and then uh, using that to jump off to talk about the difficulty different groups have of understanding each other, not because of any ulterior motive, but essentially because of where they're from and they're like the, the disconnect there. Is that that's a pretty good summary? Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Like the, the base idea is that no one's really an arsehole. It's just because we don't know how to talk to strangers, we just sometimes end up arseholes. So I guess first thing I'd ask, why, why did you pick this book? Why do you think this? Why do you like this? So I, I like Malcolm Gladwell like as a general brand. I just hadn't got around to reading any of his books. And I actually heard him interviewed on Conan O'Brien's podcast. Okay. And I heard him talk about, uh, like, as an author might do on a podcast, like if I had a book, I would just try and wedge in kind of things that I talked about that might encourage you to buy a book. And, and Malcolm was successful. He, he uh, convinced me to go to the Amazon store and uh, click buy to download on Kindle. And it appeared on my Kindle a few seconds later. What do you mean you like the brand but you hadn't read any of the books? Like I've, I've seen quotes from Malcolm Gladwell. And I think I might have seen, like, a YouTube video or something. Like, I, I was pro-Malcolm Gladwell. I'd just never gotten onto the book yet. I, and I understand that he has a great back catalogue of really smart books. That's what I understand. I couldn't tell you a title, though. Actually, I think there's something in there about hours, like like 10,000 hours or something. Is it, Does that ring a bell for you? No, yeah, I've read, I've read all of his stuff. <laughs> He's, uh, okay. The 10,000-hour rule is the one that he kind of coined. So, so I don't want to shatter any things here, because I actually do like him as well. But he does come with the issue of sometimes he can uh, have a habit of drawing conclusions based on the stuff that he's found. And then people go away and they're like, oh, maybe this wasn't actually the most accurate conclusion. But overall, I still do rate him just for bringing stuff into the popular consciousness and bringing up these topics. And then hopefully people can, can engage and go further with it. Actually, I guess firstly, do you read much in general? Yeah, yeah. So I my, my Kindle... So, like comes with me if I if I'm ever at home or traveling, my Kindle's always not far. That's just that's just my reading um, thing of choice. So I can't audiobook because I'm about a month or two behind podcast wise. So I I couldn't justify filling my headphones with pod, with audiobooks if I've already got podcasts I've got to listen to. And because I'm I'm like most of my weddings are a flight away. If the year isn't 2020, I'm usually on a flight. I, I just can't justify carrying more weights and more things like space. And so the Kindle just fits that bill really well. Uh, but I don't like reading on my iPhone or iPad. Kindle apps, because like, notifications pop up. and Just the design of it, it's crazy. Yeah, so I, I, I like having the Kindle. I've got the uh, got the Oasis. Ooh. And so I just, I, I like to have my, my books there. I, I read every day. Right, and uh, is there interest more in uh, non-fiction or fiction or...? Yeah, it's so rare to get me into a fiction book, hey. I, I, I actually, I said this to someone the other day and I didn't realise how judged um, I was going to be. I don't read a lot of fiction. I can probably think of two fiction books that I've loved, that, that I've read to the to the end and I've loved in my life. Yeah? What were they? Ready Player One. Okay. That was, have you read that? No, but I know about it, yeah. Ernest Klein. You didn't see the movie without reading it, did you? Yeah, I saw the movie without reading it. Oh, my God. You're one of those. Oh, okay, take it the, easy, mate. The, I'm sure there's plenty of movies you've seen of books that you haven't read. So <laughs> this is a bold horse to stand proudly on. <laughs> I was waving a sign out the front of the Jurassic Park theatre saying, read the book first, the book's better. And then I found out the book was released after the movie, so I was wrong. The book was released after the movie? Yeah, the, the book was like real. It was written about the movie, I think. There's like an adaption from the screenplay. No chance. Are you sure about that? Maybe I saw an adaption from the screenplay that was like a second book. I've seen that in, in a bookstore. It's The book's fucking brilliant. The, it is? Okay. But the movie's great too. But yeah, okay, so that's one. And Zigzag Street. Do you know Zigzag Street? No. Written by one of the great Australian authors, uh, Queenslander as well, Nick Earls. Uh, must be like, I'm just Googling, it's a 1996 book and uh, just a solid good, I guess it probably fits in the kind of category of young adult fiction. 
Uh, actually, you know what? There's a third book, John Birmingham's um, uh, Flaffle, Died with a Flaffle in His Hand. And both of them are kind of <laughs> stories about growing up in uh, Queensland, share houses with boys and blah, blah, blah. All your book choices, like, very clearly a reflection of, like, it doesn't take a psychoanalyst to look at all those choices and be like, yeah, this is very directly related to you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's either nostalgia, 80s sort of, yeah, I remember all that stuff, (laughs) So as you're reading with Ready Player One. I'm about to try a fourth fiction book. I'm I'm about to embark on it. Uh, It's because my my uncle has, um, in retirement, he's written a book and I... I've purchased it and it's on my bedside. It's been there for a week. Like, I want to love it because I love him and I want him to... I want, like, I want to go to see him at Christmas and have a conversation about his book, but I just don't read many fiction books. I just don't. It's just not in my DNA. That's all right. I'm very cross-genre and everything for me, so I definitely don't judge. I think, like, reading is... It's, the fiction's great but because it can be entertaining and it can teach you stuff about yourself in a subtle, clever way that can make you see things different, but... Nonfiction's like so important because that's what reading is kind of designed for, really. Like, as in the storytelling element, it's as ancient as whatever, but the learning stuff. Darwin wrote The Origin of the Species, like, for a reason. Like, this stuff is fundamental to us learning everything, and all the philosophers wrote everything. So, yeah. I'm with you. That, the reason I was asking that is because I did want to know what basis you had for your respecting of this new book, considering your nonfiction understanding. So, what, what was, what's another favorite nonfiction book, just out of curiosity? Like, if someone said, What's a good nonfiction book? What would you say apart from talking to strangers because i don't i don't have the big um kind of backlog of i read this book 10 years ago and you should read it like that definitely is a thing mm-hmm. but i it's just not always on the top of my mind I, i'm i'm really interested in i don't know if this is the right category because it often gets kind of lumped into like religious books and, and i i don't like i don't really love that category but people that are kind of like dabble in the elements of faith and christian faith and whatnot just but kind of the the people on the fringe of that because I like reading about that because uh, uh, Christian faith is like a really big element of just living in Australia and living in Western society and, you know, you can't drive far without missing a cross somewhere. And for so many so many of us, that's part of our upbringing, whether it's school or family or just general, like, like a lot of people kind of identify, oh, I'm a Catholic and I've never been to church, you know, like that's just a weird even thing to identify as if you don't go to church every week. And so I just find that really interesting. So two books which are really on the fringe of that, which is kind of where I sit. Uh, Mike McCarg, who he's got a podcast called Ask Science Mike, and his latest book, uh, You're a Miracle and a Pain in the Ass, is not about faith, not about faith at all, really, but it's about the brain. And But he obviously kind of, he's got the fringe kind of Christian side to him, so I, I appreciate that. And uh, Stephen Levy, he's like a big wig at Wired magazine. I forget his actual title, like editor at large or something. And he wrote the book about Facebook, which is uh, this like big, deep thing on Facebook's existence, and I, I really enjoyed that. So that one's not about faith. No, that's you really took a left. I was like, where's the faith part? So are you are you religious yourself? I, I would identify as a Christian, yeah, but I, I really don't love a lot of kind of Christian culture, even just what, what like the brand of Christianity. I, I don't love it. I want my gays married. I want my refugees free. I want, you know, I'm quite kind of uh, on the left wing of, of you know, Christianity. But, yeah, I'd identify, I'd, I would identify as a Christian, which is probably why I like those books, like a... I'm reading a book at the moment called Love Matters More, which is just basically around the lines of all the things we want to be right about in the world, Just it's more important just to love. Okay, that does sound, uh, yeah, veering into that sort of uh, spirituality sort of thing. Such a romantic. You're such a sweetheart, just full of love. It's great. <laughs> okay, so you've got an interesting cross-section stuff. So to go back to uh, talking with strangers, it's very political. Very. <laughs> and it's very current. Like I was, when I was listening to it, I'm like, oh, wow, this is like, who boy. I hope no one brings this up on the podcast because I don't think I'm going to last an hour talking about this without saying something incorrect. <laughs> uh, but he basically touches on everything. He goes for like the race with the school shootings. He goes uh, the sexual assault stuff. Uh, he's got the terrorism stuff. What, I guess so. What, the question is, what made this book? I guess which element of that did you like the most? Did you like all of it? Was it some part of it that made you think, oh, everyone should read this? That sort of thing. From a real kind of simple, primal kind of like just lizard brain kind of view of it. I talk to strangers professionally. For the longest time, my job has been to be in some kind of relationship with strangers. Like if, I, if I'm a wedding celebrant, the couple getting married, like they've professionally hired me, they've paid me at some point, you know, one, two, six, 12, 24 months before, we didn't know each other at all. And then they engage my services and the next minute I'm kind of feeling this kind of like, you know, if you look at you know, weddings traditionally, there's that kind of priestly role, like you would get married by your priest or by your, you know, whoever your minister of choice would be. 
and, and they would have known you, you know, and you kind of see that in, like, pop culture. Like, if there's a Hollywood movie, they'll have, like, the childhood priest kind of do the ceremony and, like, I know John when he was a little boy and it's so good to see him getting married, that kind of vibe. So professionally, even on radio, when I was a breakfast radio announcer, like, every single day talking to strangers, it's even doing, like, uh, public events for radio stations. Like, we'd always do outside broadcasts and we would, um, you know, we would be just out and I'd be in a radio station shirt and there'd be core flutes everywhere and flags and I'd be on the microphone and people would come up to you every day and so I I think I'm fairly good at talking to strangers but but a lot of people still just annoy me like someone cut me off early this morning as I was dropping my toddler to, to school uh, to kindy and I, I I without having met the person I'm going to say it on the podcast that person's a dick. Just they just cut me off. They just like they didn't indicate. I'm like, is your indicator broken? I don't know. And as much as I can say that they are a dick, it's also highly possible that they're not. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing however you chiching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Nah, cutting you off, <laughs> forget about it. That's a, there's a special circle in hell reserved for those people. I'm, I'm actually going to go find them and kill them after this. I'm just I'm going to go hunt them down. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no one gets in the way. No one cuts me off when my toddler's in the car. <laughs> but yeah, the elements of like just talking to strangers and being in a relationship with people that you've never met before. Like even like my wife and I, we've been married for eight years. We've known each other for, like, uh, come out towards 15. Like we still do things and we kind of, like not surprise each other, but like, yeah, we'll do something that the other one doesn't understand. And we've known each other for the longest time. And so if we have that a misunderstanding of each other and we love each other, we've got grace for each other, we, I can do something stupid and she'll still love me the next day. You know, like yesterday she got annoyed at me because I, I was doing some HTML kind of coding on my website. But I did it all wrong. <laughs> and so I, um, I was really frustrated at myself because I just, I'd made a big screw up and I'd taken the whole website down. So I kind of put my hands on my head in frustration, like sighed, like, ah, oh, you know. And she's like, what's wrong? And because I was so upset with myself, I responded to her, in a not that loving way. And then she got really upset with me and so we just had a big blow up all because I screwed up and I just had physically shown that I'd screwed up. So, and we love each other and we know each other and we like, we live together. We know our, we know our bank balances and everything. Like we are intimately close. And so try and mirror that out to a complete stranger. Like it, it's a wonder there's not more just fist fights on the street. <laughs> You can't ever get angry at someone until you know them really well. In some ways, like as in not knowing someone at all, you can be like they're a dick. But if in terms of like someone's like actually a dick, it's like that it takes a level of knowing as well, which is interesting. Yeah, that's really true. Have you felt like you have difficulty in getting your point across to people sometimes? Like, is that something you felt like maybe? And again, in comparison to other people, like do you feel like maybe you don't get across sometimes? And other people seem to do it better. Not that they're smoother, but they just their worldview seems they seem to just be better at relating than you. Is that something that you felt sometimes? I would say that like a deep worldview of mine, which I don't know is true, and I could probably actually say it's not true. It's like a lizard brain kind of state, like state of mind for me. I think that I'm not as well as understood as other people, and me communicating with people is like something I want to be better at. Like if right now, and don't do it because I'll punch you through the Zoom call, but if you wanted to really annoy me right now, it'd be me talking. So I'm talking right now. I stop talking 
and then you say, oh, no, I, I didn't get that. Can you... Uh, I didn't completely quite understand that. Can you say that again? And I'm like, okay, I'll do it again. And and then you say you can't understand me again. If you if you just kept on doing that, I'd eventually just punch the MacBook. Because <laughs> I want to be understood. Wait, so you just punch the MacBook? What do you mean? What do you mean when you're saying? <laughs> it's, it would it'll be it'll be an anger thing. I know. I didn't want to do it. It's it's just. <laughs> So that's something you felt before, like in connections with people where you're like, why can't I seem to get across my point to someone? Yeah, yeah. Like I, I would say that's, that's just, that's like a lifelong thing of mine. Like I've, I feel misunderstood in some way. Not like the angry teenager misunderstood, like just actually misunderstood. Like, like what I'm saying isn't being communicated well. And you, do you think sometimes that's because you feel you, just like I guess like the stranger thing where it's like, you just have a different worldview that it's sometimes it seems like it's like an alien almost. Sometimes you're trying to relate to people and it seems like they're just sitting in a whole different place from where you are and it's like, why can't you understand what I'm talking about? Yeah. Like a good example is at weddings. Uh, I, um, I'll be at the front. Obviously, that's where the celebrant is with the couple. And before the ceremony, I'll see 30, 40, 50, whatever it is, empty seats. And my view is that, like, if I'd put out 40, 50 seats for my friends to come and, say, hear me talk. If I was a stand-up comedian, I'd put out 50 seats for people to come and... And they all bought tickets and they all turned up. So everyone's in the room, they've turned up, so they've, they've done the important thing. They've paid the 20 bucks admission and they've walked into the room, but they all stand around the empty seats. It feels like they're not bought in. Like I feel like they don't completely understand the complete transaction here. And this happens at weddings every day because people will just stand around empty seats. They're like, oh, I'm just going to leave it for the family. And like, all the family sat down, yet yeah, we've still got 40 empty seats and everyone's standing around them. It's a constant source of frustration for me because I'm like, like I know you're being really polite, but what you don't understand is that the the couple are about to get married. There's going to be photos, and and even us just standing here looking at you, it looks weird looking at all these empty seats. It looks like no one turned up, which I I, I think kind of communicates my frustration of not being understood. Like it's that level of frustration. It isn't like the words I'm saying aren't being understood. It's like just what I'm trying to communicate. That's a very specific example, which I like as a thing. <laughs> but I guess uh, to, to look at the most obvious place where that would be an issue is you're just talking about you're in a relationship now. Was that like an issue in a lot of past relationships as well? Like this, this inability to, I guess, talk to the other person to get them to understand what you're thinking and saying and how maybe what you're doing isn't coming from a bad place and just not because you're an arsehole, <laughs> that kind of thing? Is that something you felt? Yeah, yeah. Like, I'd, I'd say that would be a common factor for me. Even as, as you kind of state it like that and I hear it, I'm like, oh, like, maybe there's a different factor in mind. Maybe, like, maybe I've just got a false narrative. And as much as I can probably say that, it's still, like, like in my head, it's like a true narrative. Um, a smart man would probably see a, see a psychologist about it. I think that that part of it is, it's understandable. I totally get that. And it's not necessarily a false narrative. It's your narrative and then there's another narrative and neither one is technically right. As this book is kind of all literally about this exact thing. You know, it's people misunderstanding each other and people coming from different places and not necessarily wanting the worst. Even if they're acting bad sometimes, it doesn't mean you're an asshole. It just means you're acting bad in this one instance. It doesn't reflect you as a person. That actually relates more to the book than I thought you were going to say with this stuff. It's a hanging thread. So I just got to ask about it is, was this an issue you felt talking to your parents, talking to your dad, I guess, especially because your mum left, obviously. So was something you felt even as a kid? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, like if you really start looking inside, I'm like, yeah, that, there, there's, a, there's a really... Uh, I, I see my daughter, she's two. She's pretty much okay with me going, you know, I'll say, daddy has to go to work. Like, she might not always like that, but she, she has some comprehension that that's an okay thing for daddy to go to. When daddy goes to work, he comes home. You know, like she, she kind of comprehends it. And then when I'm not here, she might, she might kind of call for me and when we might FaceTime or something like that. And, and, and she, she seems, she's pretty chill with that whole thing. Because like kids want to hang out with their parents. Like particularly as like a one, two, three-year-old, like your parents are literally God. You're like, <laughs> there's, they are the best humans. Like they feed me and everything. And so, so coming to a five-year-old for that person, for, for one of those people to leave and just to not come back. And, and also I, I know that it was a confusing thing for that as well. Like that kind of starts that conversation. As, it was obviously something I did. Even, like, even though 100% it's not. It just kind of starts that feeling, like you, the best psychologist on the planet can't get you to do, or the best, you know, uh, you know, well, mindfulness person can't kind of can't get you to do your mantra or you know, repeat words that'll kind of even remove that because it's like, oh, the, my mum left and that sucks, and so you kind of take that on, and then obviously dad trying to deal with that, like I, I could imagine, like I've got a lot of empathy for my dad in trying to deal with that, like my wife is here and I, I feel a lot of pressure to you know, just provide and, you know, work and have money and a house and, you know, just all those things. And we do that together. Like, it isn't my sole job. 
But even though it's not my sole job, I feel it is. I, 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 could, I could totally imagine that snowball effect of feeling misunderstood by my mum and then dad and trying to fix everything, feeling misunderstood by him. And then he meets a lady who clearly never were, never had an understanding. And so, yeah, like I, I could definitely see there's that childhood linkage there to just, you know, the whole world misunderstands me. Like it's, it's, it's unbelievable that I didn't you know, become a goth. <laughs> You, you had your own classic outlet, so I think everyone <laughs> has that. But it makes a lot more sense when you say it like that. I mean, I can't imagine. Have you spoken, like, again, if at any point these questions are too personal, but I guess nah. have you spoken to your mum and your dad since then? Are they? Yeah, so, like, we, we've, we've definitely tried conversations about it because there's a longing in me to kind of, like, plug those holes. Like, I don't, I don't wish to be, like, a messed up guy. <laughs> and, and in so many ways, I'm, I'm not, like, I, I know that I'm, I survive better than most people that could be in my position. Like, I'm, I'm doing pretty good. Like, we, the fact that I, I can talk to you about it, you know, and I talk to friends, I talk to my wife about it. And, like, and so we, there's conversation and, and I've seen a psychologist and, and a, a counsellor and so we kind of deal with these things, which is why I can talk about it a little bit more freely today. Like, if this is the first time I talked about it, like, it'd be, be a lot more tears, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but yeah, so I've tried to talk to, to my parents about it and, and, and for them, I feel like they're a lot more hooked up on, you know, like, I know my mum my talks about it in a way that she, um, that she always tries to explain what was going on and I'm like, I'm like I, I, I understand the technicalities of it now but I probably just need a bit more connection and, and even I don't even know what to, what, what to talk about and how to describe it so there's a, there's a lot going on there which I'm sure we'll figure out one day. Again, I can't believe how much that's exactly the whole thing of the talking to strangers like as in the idea of they got their own stuff going on, you got your own and they just don't meet sometimes and when they do meet, they meet off from each other kind of, which I think it does highlight in that book a little bit. It, it doesn't mean that both sides are equally good. One side can be doing the wrong thing, but it's just more like it's understandable why they're doing the wrong thing based on what they're coming from and the system they're within. Yeah, yeah. So the other person's right to be annoyed at this person doing the wrong thing, but that person's doing the wrong thing for like understandable reasons almost, which it highlights in the book a bit and maybe that's something which it is important to understand in your own life as well, I guess. Like as in, yeah, sometimes people are pricks and because they're being pricks. Yeah. But because, but like the reason for that is because of this and this and this and this in that sense as well. Yeah. To go back to the talking with strangers thing, I thought it was probably one of not as strong as some of his other stuff, if I was going to be honest with you. So I would highly recommend, especially Blink is probably a personal favourite, but Outliers and Blink both. Uh, Blink is like about, it's kind of just a pop culture version of have you ever heard of the book Thinking Fast and Slow? I have heard of it, yeah. This is like the pop culture version almost of that. So it's a really good read, really interesting. Okay. And then Outliers is where he did the 10,000 hour rule, which is like about how, what makes people special. And again, it's about the community they come from. So it's actually all about that social connection, which is like something you raised that you stayed in radio for at the start. So yeah, that could be something which, yeah, worth checking out. But so I thought this book was good, but I thought actually it was kind of, each section of it was really interesting, but I thought the overall thesis was a bit loose. Like it was, it was tenuously connected to talking to strangers. Sometimes I thought that's what that that was my read of it. But it did definitely have that connection, and it sounds like it gave you some insight into some relationships. See, so, yeah, I, I, I think it's interesting that because uh, I I read a book, um, I, I read every night as I go to bed. I'll often kind of read back a paragraph or two to kind of catch up, and then you know, read a few pages or chats or whatever, and then I say same thing the next night. So I. I'm not going to make it like I get a deeper read on a book, but I just purely, you know, due to my stupidity, I kind of get a slightly deeper read on a book because I have to you know, go back a paragraph or four to, to catch up. There was, there was, I think there was two sexual assault cases and, and I remember like both of those, I kind of read a, like a few times over. And I don't know if you felt this and I wonder if this is where your kind of tenuous connection comment comes from because I, I, I don't feel that. Exactly, no, we're allowed to disagree, definitely. <laughs> yeah, but, but I, I, didn't, I didn't walk away feeling that. But particularly through the sexual assault cases, I kind of really double and triple read them because I thought, oh, this is this is really dangerous water to walk through because both of the cases, um, it was a male assaulting or sexually assaulting a female. And I believe in both, both cases, the courts found them guilty, I think. I think that was the case. Um, so the, the guilt wasn't in question, but he was trying to find some empathy for the uh, for the attackers, and and he kind of succeeded in that. And, and when I felt that, I I really I had to read it again because I I just wanted to make sure I was kind of picking up every crumb on the trail of trying to understand that worldview. That the the fault here was that the 
the people weren't good at talking to strangers and there's systemic problems, there's cultural problems, there's societal problems and, and all of the things which are all valid and it's also valid that they committed a sexual assault and that's bad and their, their sentencing was correct and the, 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 the person who was assaulted, like, uh, I don't know how to describe their, their, their position of being hurt and, and sad and, and, like, that is also correct. Like, it's, we're, not really trying to, we're not really trying to fix the sexual assaults but just trying to, like, look into that world a little bit more and just understand that. Even, even as I said, I'm, I'm like, I don't know, I don't know if you can hear, my, hear in, my, in my voice, but I'm like, oh, this is all really fucking dangerous to talk about, you know? <laughs> the terror, yeah, no, I can hear it. It's... Uh... It is problematic if you go into it too lightly, definitely, because it is, because it is like, and in fact, that's probably an example in the book where I thought it was probably not, because um, that wasn't really about, all it was doing was highlighting, giving you details into the guy's position there about like being hypersexualized 19 year old, drinking too much in this culture and the system defending it, which none of these things really, I thought related as much to the talking to the stranger that was her. So that's why I thought that was actually more, this is a risque topic that's kind of like about looking at a topic larger, but I didn't think it actually really related to the idea of connecting between two people and the disconnect between those two, because this was really just about the fact that, which I under, which I 100% believe, which is that if you look at anything, you can explain it. You can't justify it maybe, but you can definitely be like, well, this happened because of this, this, and this, and this is why that person acted like that is because of all these things that caused it. Like, I definitely believe that that's true across the board about anyone ever. Uh, but I, I, that's one of the ones where I was like, okay, I can kind of feel, um, cause compared to like the pedophile stuff. Yes. This book oh, does cover the- everything. I just realized I didn't even yeah, mention you know, that. You know, it's one. funny. I, like I, I think I found, um, as uh, oh, God, I hate when people say as a father, uh, but as a father of a daughter, I, I found the pedophile stuff really hard to kind of like, I obviously read it, but I, it obviously just didn't even stay in front of mind for me because I, uh, like, I find that a really hard topic to hear about because I, I struggle to imagine that I'm going to at some point, um, I'm going to have to at some point talk to my daughter about that. Like, it's um, part of me, and I know this isn't true, so this is just a fantasy. Part of me feels like as a society, we would solve pedophilia and sexual abuse before she has to deal with it, which obviously is not. Like... <laughs> That's the laziest solution to this problem. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, world, my daughter's growing up. Can you guys solve all this, like, in the next, like, 12... But you're not even asking. You're just assuming. You're like, yeah, I assume it's going to be fine <laughs> in, like, a year or two. Well, surely, like, like surely no one's going to fight me on that. No one's going to be like, uh, actually, Josh, no, we've decided. We've, no, we're, not, we're not solving pedophilia. Uh, we're just going to leave it. <laughs> like, no one's doing that. We didn't... Do, you're like, oh, yeah, we should solve that. You know what, guys? We should really get on that. That's... What have we been doing? Thank you, Josh. Ah. Oh, just oh, you're a genius. You're a genius. But like to go, to, on that topic, because because that one I felt talking to. And again, we're talking about things in the book. I want people to go. I don't want to drain people on every one of these topics. But essentially, a coach and about how this coach could do it for so long and have trials come up against him, but the schools still defend him and all the parents still defend him. Because the idea is that if you get to know someone, sometimes you can be misled by knowing them because you think you know them. Um, and that I think is another good example of the opposite of like talking to strangers where it's like because you don't know them but sometimes because you know them you you miss these parts of it which is something might, you might have to actually not not in that horrible way but as in like you got to read someone because sometimes it's like oh this person's dodgy but they're not dodgy they're, they're nice and normal in fact that's probably going to happen much more often than the opposite which is kind of what he talks about in, in the book as well and, and, and you know what's really interesting just on that like let's talk about that and, and weddings I, I wouldn't publish these thoughts because I because like, like like they're not they're not peer reviewed and like it's just my it's just a you know Josh's view on the world, but there's things that the couples getting married when they're inquiring or if we have a meeting, there's things they say and like like they say A but it means X you know and, and we all have that you know like we, we all we all have those kind of uh, different versions of whether it's in, in our profession, um, and but it, the wedding industry is really interesting because most people who are consumers in the wedding industry as in like a, a, you know a purchasing you know, clients, people getting married, they they haven't had that purchasing experience before. They've always they might have witnessed other people do it. Uh, whereas to to compare it, like right now, if you and I were to talk about buying a TV, like my TV is like ten years old, I should replace it at some point. And if we were just talking, if we were just having a coffee, and I brought up that my TV needs replacing, you could probably give me some kind of nuance, like oh, I bought a Sony and my friend bought a JB or whatever, and and we have these opinions on on a TV brand or what to spend or buy a 4K or whatever. We could kind of like have some kind of conversation about buying a TV. 
Whereas um, buying weddings, like people don't really know, like because there's so many millions of options and cultures and societies. And uh, if you're from this kind of society, then there's assumptions you do these things. And and uh, you know if your if your um, hair color and, and and skin color and face shape looks like you're from a certain region, there's there's assumptions on what you would buy or how you would going to get married. There's there's all of those things exist in the in the wedding industry. And 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 the, as much as I desperately inside of myself as, as the as the little lefty I want to be, I'm like oh, that can't be true. Like in so many in so many ways, it's like ah oh, so true. <laughs> like all of the stereotypes are 100 percent true, 99.9 percent of the time. You know, it's 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 a it's a really interesting way of looking at people knowing that we all desperately want to be different and unique and special pedals, but in so many ways we're not, you know? In like, what, do you, what way do you mean? If a couple say we're not having a traditional wedding, like that's something that doesn't always mean something. Like, a, like to, if you say that to someone, if you say that to a wedding supplier, it doesn't, it doesn't really mean anything. And almost every single couple who say we're not having a traditional wedding are literally actually having a really traditional wedding. You know, like girls going to walk down the aisle by, a, by a, an older family member, father, etc. There's going to be an aisle, and there'll be she'll be wearing a white dress. There'll be a big, big, big white dress, and she'll need girls to help her assemble the dress when she gets in and into the aisle. And they'll exchange rings and they'll make it, and and uh, one will be. Um, um, a cisgender female, I want to be a cisgender male and there'll be a wedding cake and there'll be a reception and everyone's going to get free food and drink and then the ceremony will be at 3 o'clock on a Saturday and the reception will close at 9.30 because they've got to be out by 10 because of a tur- curfew and there'll be, you know, the cars will be uh, you know, vintage kind of car, Rolls Royce kind of Mercedes, something like that and there'll be a string on the front, you know, uh, on the bonnets. You know, those kind of things. Okay, so is that what you mean by that? You're just saying is in like people generally want the same stuff? even if they think they're trying to be different. It's more so saying that the, the people are much more predictable than we ever want to be. But then talking with strangers would also encourage us to say that's not at all true. And obviously that's, that's not true for everyone, but it's, a, it's an easy way to operate in business. You can assume everyone's going to buy this product, you know, and you can sell it. You just mean you see the same types of couples saying the same sort of stuff, which actually means this every time. And like an example is traditional, but actually they do kind of want traditional. Is there, do you have another example of that maybe? I would say it's it's quite common that if you're from either China or one of the countries kind of um, linked, like like uh, Singapore, like kind of China adjacent, um, like I don't want to lump in a whole continent, but kind of China adjacent countries, um, the, the, the couple themselves may well value the ceremony, but if all of their guests are of, of, of the similar kind of disposition, then the ceremony is not important. And it's so common for those um, guests to not attend the ceremony, but to attend the reception. So when, when you were planning a wedding like that, like a, a Chinese couple, for example, that's kind of like an assumption you would be you would make in the wedding industry. And so me as a 2020 person who tries to be better than, than I'd want to be, I'm like, we shouldn't make that assumption because these people are individuals, regardless of the country of birth or the countries of birth of their family. They're individuals and they have their own thoughts and, and minds. Um, and then then you, you prove wrong so often yeah. that, uh, oh, no, not everyone's coming to the ceremony because the reception's important to us, you know. If anything, you're, it's just making, like, they're from a culture. You're allowed to be like, oh, most people from this culture act in this certain way within a realm of allowance. It is pretty funny to be separating by race. <laughs> like, what people have people going to act, but, like, because I'm just thinking even when I do a comedy show, it's like if a lot of wogs are coming basically, to put it that way, yeah, yeah. you're going to get a lot of no-shows just because people, <laughs> like, they just get late and they're like, ah, don't worry about it, we'll go another time, whatever. So it's like, it's just a given. So it's like a very noticeable, like, almost the point, I used to go, I'm like, it's so funny because I don't know who it's going to be, but always you're going to get like a 10% no-show from tickets bought because of like, <laughs> I don't know. I haven't had a big enough uh, population size of this study to be able to localize which groups it is, but I, with something like a wedding, it sounds like you've got plenty of time. <laughs> the whole thing as a wedding supplier is that you're, um, you're dealing with strangers every single day and you're trying to make... Yeah, and, and where, where that becomes important is they're, they're, paying, they're paying a lot of money. Um, I charge a good fee. Yeah, everyone in the wedding industry does because we're all mum and dad kind of solo operators and, uh, and we're, we're trying to just survive through a fucking pandemic. And uh, so part of the of delivering on that is you want to do an awesome job. And so there's a lot of assumptions being made, like, how can I be awesome for this couple? And not all of that comes down to, like, talking about, like, oh, what do, you, what do you want? A lot of it has to be, like, okay, cool. Like, they're these kind of people. They've signaled they like these things. Thus, I think this would be an awesome wedding for them. Yeah, but I know what you mean. But it sounds like, to be honest, hearing about your life, it sounds like just another in a long list of strangers that you've struggled to talk to and restrain <laughs> yourself from punching as well. <laughs> 
I, I, I always I always joke about like you know punching people. Like someone cut me off, I punch them. Just I, I feel like I should disclose just somewhere on the internet so that if case someone goes looking for evidence of Josh punching, I am. Um, I don't think I know how to punch anyone. I've, I've, I've not actually ever acted. I might have like accidentally kind of punched someone like if I was kind of like moving my hand in a direction and that hand connected with their face. I'm like, oh, I'm so sorry! Which, which, if you say I'm so sorry after punching someone, that's not a real punch. No, <laughs> definitely not. Unless you're a psychopath. You're a psychopath! Like, like, you don't see wrestlers, like, punching and like, oh, I'm so sorry, man, punch again. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, we should probably tie it up there since we've been going on for a while. Um, you've been a lot of fun <laughs> and very open about a lot of the stuff too. So I guess the one thing I ask every uh, show is, do you feel like you have got any new perspective on your connection to talking to strangers? Thanks, this conversation stuff we've kind of spoken about. I, I do. I am. Um, every time I interact with a stranger, I'm desperately trying to have more empathy. I'm trying to build empathy to understand where they're at. Every time I interact with people, I'm trying to think about who they are, what they're going through, what's going on, how can I understand them better? Uh, and I am doing that. And I can say that because I can also say that I'm not that good at it. But I'm trying. Honestly, this is probably one of the best things about going to like a therapist, especially, is because a lot of the time you go up there and you say that stuff, and there, and then all you need to hear is someone to be like, "Man, no one's good at it." <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, everyone's way worse at it than you think. That's that's a topic for another time. Thank you very much for being on the show. Hopefully, this has been a fun stranger to talk to. Although I think I feel like we're friends now. <laughs> yeah, we're strange. buddies. We're, we're Facebook friends now. Like, particularly for a Melbourneite, that's literally, I think I'm coming to Christmas this year with you. That's the closest connection you have with the people. We don't know we're all alone, but not for long. Anyways, I, uh, I'll leave it off there, but thanks very much, Josh, for being on. You've been a lot of fun. Thanks, Josh. <laughs> Thanks for listening. If you want to help support this show and all the other shows we do here at Sans Pants Radio, then why not subscribe to SansPantsPlus.com? For as little as $5 a month, you could have access to a whole bunch of bonus shows and content. Once again, that's SansPantsPlus.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.